wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you tuning in. Oh, my gosh. We're rebroadcasting live on Clubhouse. If you haven't followed us over there, we actually have been uh, broadcasting live on Clubhouse for about a week now. If you're not on the app, you need to check it out. To see the video version of the interview we'll be doing today, you can go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss. And also you can go to goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. See all the books we're reading and reviewing over there. You can also go to facebook.com, the Chris Voss show. There's a number of groups over there for the show. And also you can go to linkedin.com. There's groups over there as well. Instagram.com forward slash Chris Foss and the Chris Foss show as well. Those of you who are looking to get healthier, lose weight, reverse aging, and uh, deal with your diet frustration. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? We have a great gentleman on the show. And today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Restream. Restream Studio is a web-based live broadcasting solution. You can live stream a Zoom meeting or webinar to up to 30-plus social channels and platforms at the same time. We're actually using it to do our live broadcasting. You can get $10 credit towards their services using our affiliate link at restream.io forward slash join forward slash Chris Voss. He's the author of the forthcoming book that will be on sale on March 9th, 2021. You can, of course, pre-order that book. The name of the book is called Two Meals a Day, the simple sustainable strategy to lose fat, reverse aging, and break free from diet frustration forever by Mark Sisson and Brad Kearns. Today, we're uh, blessed by having Brad Kearns on the show. And uh, let me tell you a rundown on him. He is a longtime co-author of Mark Sisson. He's the host of B-Rad Podcast, an elite master's athlete. He broke the Guinness World Record in speed golf at age 53, is a number one U.S. ranked age 55 to 59 hyper jumper and former U.S national champion and number three world-ranked professional triathlete. He lives in Lake Tahoe, Nevada with his wife, Elizabeth, and enjoys a daily cold plunge in the lake year-round. And I was laughing earlier because he's the same age as I am at 53. And I'm like, wow, I really need to move up my game. Welcome to the show, Brad. How are you, sir? Oh, my gosh. Right now, I'm excited from that amazing <laughs> intro. And the energy is high. So we're ready to rock and roll. There you go. I might need a nap, though, after reading your bio. I mean, that, that's a lot of stuff going on, and we're the same age. Like, I can think about the triathlete thing. But welcome to the show. We certainly appreciate you coming by, and congratulations on the launch of your guys' new book. I think you guys have done several books. Is that correct? Yes. Mark Sisson, one of the great leaders of the ancestral health, the primal movement, and I've been had 
the great privilege of working together with him. He's an old friend of mine. We're both old time athletes in the triathlon scene, but we started writing together about 12 years ago and have put out some really popular books on this cutting edge ancestral health scene. And it's been really cool to see it grow in the meanwhile, because when we were first starting out, uh, the first book was called The Primal Blueprint. And we were trying to explain it to major publishers in New York and got turned down by a couple dozen saying this stuff is ridiculous and it, it flies in the face of medical science of America and, and the U.S. government. And now, finally, we've had this wonderful awakening of whatever you want to call it, the alternative health scene or the pillars of conventional wisdom that we followed blindly, thinking that people are looking out for our best interests are now being shattered. And people have done things like follow a high-fat diet and lose body fat and all kinds of other crazy stuff that we never thought was you know, legit. Mm -hmm. I usually stick to meth. That uh, seems to be a diet that works for me, but is uh, completely unhealthy. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do meth. Uh, clearly, I don't do meth. <laughs> I feel like you don't need here. it, man. You're you're pumped up enough. <laughs> I I'm trying to be, but there's a there's some Death Wish coffee right here in the cup that's uh, keep me caffeinated. Uh, so give us your plugs so people can find you on the interwebs and get to know you better. Oh my gosh, you'll just be regaled by wild and crazy videos and fun information at bradkearns.com. So go check that out. And as you read in my bio, I'm into all kinds of fun stuff. And I think mostly what I'm trying to stand for is to maintain passion and competitive intensity throughout life. And of course, we're old guys now. We're in the in the 50s. And usually we're sitting around telling stories of back in the day when uh, you were all section in football and, and no one could touch you. And you, you tackled the quarterback every time and everyone has their story. And then we go back and sit down and watch Tom Brady win another Super Bowl. But my thing is I want to be out there participating and fighting that battle against the accelerated decline into old age and, and dysfunction that we're seeing now is the norm. And that's something that means something to me in, in a different way than when I was a, a professional triathlete and I was living and breathing, racing on the pro circuit and trying to win the next race. But that was a nice, fun, exciting phase of my young life. But then as the decades pass, it's like, what are you going to do now? I have no desire to go back on the professional triathlon circuit, <laughs> fortunately, because that stuff's crazy and it's way out of my my league. And it's, it's not even that healthy to be an elite athlete for too long. But I can now pursue Pursue these fun goals that are nicely aligned with anti-aging longevity. They build and, and, and support my health rather than break it down like things that you do that are too extreme. And so that's kind of the message that I like to share over at my website and all the things that I'm doing. I'm helping with this testosterone optimization project. We have a product called MOFO and that mm. stands for male optimization formula with organs. So it's a, it's an organ supplement, but behind that we have this whole lifestyle movement to try to uh, help, especially men who are looking at this accelerated decline and the things you can do naturally with your lifestyle. But with regard to the book here, this is really uh, an exciting project because we, we've been writing for so long and a lot of it's been to this niche audience that's out on the fringes of health where they're paleo or they're keto and you might have met one of these people sitting next to you in the airplane seat and they're into CrossFit and their muscles are bulging out of their female skirt and you're like, wow, she's a, <laughs> she's a one in a thousand. I've never seen a, anyone with pecs and traps and deltoids like yours. But now we're trying to take this very popular movement and this message further and further into the mainstream and help rescue people that have followed this really disastrously flawed advice for perhaps their entire adult life and can raise their hand as a, a serial 
failure with diet and weight loss efforts. And now we're, you know, showing you that, hey, there's a better way. It's different. It does not involve pain, suffering, sacrifice, and deprivation. And in fact, what you're doing is you're making choices that are aligned with your human genetic expectations for health, dating back to that evolutionary model, that ancestral example of the foods we're supposed to eat are the foods that came from the earth, not from a box or a package or a wrapper. And same with the exercise modalities and the sleep habits and all these cool things that people on the on the biohacking scene and the, the far fringes of health optimization are all into, but now we have a kinder, gentler approach to where it's really doable for anybody. So I'm not asking you for hours and hours of your time to do these crazy workouts that maybe maybe I like to do, but something that's really doable and sustainable. So that's kind of uh, where this book is targeted and, and the message inside is all about making things, building, building on personal preference and making it uh, comfortable and fun. I think what's, and that's great. I think what's confusing for a lot of people is there's so many different diets out there. There's so much misinformation out there. And like, I just basically keep a dartboard and I just close <laughs> my eyes and I throw the dart at the dartboard and I go, ah, oh, I'm doing paleo diet today. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're a funny guy, but it's, it's a very important and well conveyed point there, what you're saying. And there's a lot of frustration and confusion among the basic consumer. And I live and breathe this stuff every day, but I also meet up with my childhood buddies and we get together and we talk about life and we have fun and we, someone brings dinner and there's chips and salsa or whatever. And I have this experience of associating with real people who are busy leading normal lives and not necessarily up on all the scientific research. And so people ask me my opinion, of course, I'm a writer, I'm an author, I'm a you know, podcast host, but I'm always cognizant of that idea that everyone's pretty much confused and frustrated by all the controversy and the misinformation and the conflicting information among very knowledgeable and well-trained authorities. So I don't want to be the guy who's throwing down all this dogma. And then the next week on your show, you get someone on who's talking about different things that are going to shut me down. Then we need to have a third show to, to sort everything out. So what I'm trying to do is find common ground that everyone can be receptive to that makes good common sense. And as soon as you try it, it feels better and you get a boost in your energy, your mood, your cognitive function, your appetite is stabilized and you have a better day because you tried to implement some of these things that are uh, simple and doable. So uh, the, the premise of the book is to, of course, do a lot of different things for you, but two meals a day. What's the, what's the core values of that that, you're, that you guys are espousing in the book? Yeah, thanks. Good question. I mean, the thing is that we've been indoctrinated into this modern culture where three meals a day is part of part of our lifestyle for some reason. And I'll tell you the reason. It's because of the Industrial Revolution, whatever, what is it, 180 years ago when we started working in factories and came off the farms. And so we had to have breakfast because then we were heading off to the factory. We needed to have lunch to take a break during the incredibly arduous manual labor that our great-grandfathers and, and so forth engaged in every single day. And then you came home and you had dinner. And so today we're in this digital world where we're not very active. We have all these comforts and conveniences and luxuries, and we certainly don't need more 
more than two meals a day. So it's a nice catchy title to convey the idea that the widespread disease patterns of modern humans are a result of one, choosing the wrong foods and two, eating too frequently. So we have two disparate things that we can tackle. And of course, we're going to start out talking about making good food choices, especially what not to eat. So to help ease some of your confusion that you expressed in that first question, if we can just discuss what not to eat, you're going to fly so high and you're going to reach the highest heights of your 80% potential to longevity. And that's a quote from a very well-established Dr. Peter Atia, one of the great longevity physicians. He's got his own podcast. It's very popular. He's deep into the science. He has a research team. And he says, look, just, just cut out the junk food and you're 80% of your, the way to your longevity potential. The other stuff's fine, refining and nuancing and things that people can spend more time with. But that's the first thing is to make those wise choices. And then the second thing is quit eating so freaking frequently and quit snacking all day long in the name of health. And some people, we've been told that maybe it's good to keep your blood sugar steady all day long and reach for this healthy energy bar that's now a multi-billion dollar industry. So we're trying to shut down some of these notions that are really uh, damaging to the average person and kind of convey a more uh, simple approach where it's, it's eating delicious, nutritious meals, and then going about your busy day, feeling comfortable, mood stabilized, appetite stabilized, and not needing to rely on food as your primary source of energy. And guess what your primary source of energy becomes? what it's been for the last two and a half million years of human evolution, and that is stored body fat. So we're really good at storing energy and accessing and burning it when we need it without regular meals. That's the story of how humans have made it to this day. But we've overridden that in modern life by constantly shoving food down our face, especially the high carbohydrate processed meals that basically shut off your ability to burn stored body fat. And that's, that's what I tell people. I'm not fat. I just have high storage capabilities. Uh, <laughs> that and it, now if I do this two meals a day, I live in Vegas. Can I, can I go to the Bellagio buffet for these two meals a day? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a feast or famine pattern mm-hmm. that has been widely validated to be the healthiest way to exist as a human. Mm-hmm. And our bodies are really good at eating meals, digesting the food storing it if necessary, especially restocking glycogen, the storage form of uh, sugar in the muscles and the liver. And so these are all good things that allow us to wake up the next day and have a high energy output and do physical work or whatever we need to do. It just happens that we're not active enough these days and we don't require that much food that you might find people chowing down at the Bellagio buffet. But when you make good choices and eat to your heart's content and to true dietary satisfaction at each meal, that is not a bad way to live and it's not too difficult to adhere to. Uh, but we kind of kind of asked some questions here about, are you really satisfied? Do you really need to eat another plate of whatever you're <laughs> taking at the buffet and get these emotional decisions out of it or this, this reactive eating out of it? But when you make good choices and you've eliminated the junk food, we can talk in more detail about what the things we want to get rid of. You'll find that you're really nicely satisfied with the the right amount of food. And I'm just going to make a comparison. Like we can all uh, reference the idea of eating too much Ben and Jerry's ice cream and, oh my gosh, the pint's gone. Or I had the whole bag of potato chips. I can't believe it. It's very easy to do with these modern processed foods. They're called hyper palatable foods. Now, 
consider how difficult it is to overdose on an omelet in the morning or having three steaks at the Bellagio instead of two. And now you feel terrible and you feel guilty. It just doesn't happen when you're eating these nutritious, deeply satisfying foods. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, that's a, makes a real difference. So what are some, you mentioned that there's some things we want to take out of our diet. What are, what are the bad stuff? Okay, we call it the big three, and this might be the the easiest takeaway from the show for listeners to remember and really take action on. And these are uh, refined sugars, grains, and industrial seed oils. And the seed oils are kind of a a mysterious uh, villain that a lot of people don't really take into consideration, but it's probably or, or likely the single most offensive food that you can consume in the modern diet. And these are things like the bottled vegetable oils, canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil, safflower, sunflower. A lot of people still cook with them despite them being extremely toxic to the human immediately upon ingestion. And they're also found in all manner of processed food. So if you look on the label of some boxed or packaged food that you're eating, you're very likely going to find vegetable oil. Same with a frozen uh, meal. And you're also going to find it in most restaurant foods from fast food all the way up to fine dining in Las Vegas where they're cooking your beautiful steak or your your broccoli or whatever appears healthy, but they've cooked it in these, these cheap industrial oils that have a lot of offensive processing methods and they inflict immediate oxidative stress on the body. So the oils have to go. And then the sugars and grains, uh, a little more difficult because they have really addictive properties when you're talking about wheat, rice, pasta, corn, cereal, all the grain foods that have uh, a lot of caloric impact. Uh, a big sugar spike, insulin response, but not a lot of nutritional value. And then, of course, all the sugars and especially the sweetened beverages because liquids fail to satiate us. And so we can consume a lot more of those. And it's arguably more offensive to suck down the Starbucks drink where you don't really feel like you just had 696 calories, but you did without noticing it. And then you're on this sugar burning path that's very difficult to get off over the course of the day. Meanwhile, your body fat stays on your body ready to be burned if you were to optimize your diet, but you just can't access it. Nice. How about coconut oil? Because I use that in my coffee. Right. So coconut oil is a a highly saturated form of fat and it's been minimally processed because it's it's high fat by nature. Same with olives and same with avocados, right? So Mm. to get oil out of a high fat plant, all you have to do, you see on the bottle of really quality olive oil, it says first cold press extra virgin olive oil. That's the, the gold standard. And first cold press means that they just press the olive one time, first time, cold without needing hot temperatures that damage the product. Mm -hmm. And then in the bottle, you have this really wonderful tasting olive oil that has a lot of nutritional benefits, the centerpiece of Mediterranean diet, lauded around the world, all that. So coconut oil is right in that same category. The Pacific Islanders have wonderful stats of lack of heart disease because coconut products, not just the oil, but the meat and the, the other things you can get from coconut are part of the diet. And so coconut oil is a great choice to cook with and consume in other ways too. I just realized I need to move to an island because then I'll just live off of coconuts. And then there's probably not a McDonald's or an In-N-Out burger on that island. So I won't be able to get to my my stuff. 
Unfortunately, <laughs> the the exportation of fast food culture across the world is doing some uh, amazing damage to the stats. Like you might have heard of Okinawa's this longevity hotbed. It's been lauded by the popular book The Blue Zones and the longest lived people. And now, as they come in with more Starbucks and McDonald's, the they're coming back on the curve back to the mean or the the average life expectancy, rather than being this amazing outlying population where I think the females at one point hit ninety as an average. Average life expectancy, which is six years more than the average female in America. So we're we're just bringing this stuff, especially things like cigarettes and soda, where Americans are starting to get wise to it. And so now they're you know heading down south of the border to Mexico, South America, and peddling this crap in other countries. Yeah. So one of the things we want to talk about is lifestyle practices, elements of of healthy lifestyle that complement eating well and, and two meals a day. Do you want to talk about that? Right. So we have this objective out of the gate that we want to get cutting back on all that sugar and all that processed food and start burning more body fat and all that's wonderful. But if you have these high stress lifestyle practices in place, it's going to be really, really difficult to adhere to a dietary transformation because when you overstress yourself and you, it's called the chronic overstimulation of the fight or flight response through a stressful job, through exercising too much, like being too much of a gym freak and doing these workouts that are really exhausting every single day and getting up and doing it again, or not sleeping enough. All these things kind of thrown into the mix make you essentially a carbohydrate dependent human rather than potential to be a fat burner. So we have this major goal of escaping carbohydrate dependency and becoming good at burning stored body fat. But there's so many lifestyle factors that, that play into it. And there's a lot of research that sleep, that sleep deficiency interferes with your ability to burn body fat. And so if you're not good at burning body fat, you're going to get tired as soon as you skip a meal and you're going to be looking for either a stimulant or something that gives you quick energy, like a sugar processed product. And that's because the human, when it's tired and feeling drag ass, you're going to reach for a quick energy and you're not going to be able to override that with willpower or discipline. So we're trying to back into this goal of being a high, highly energetic mood and energy balanced person by making good choices so that you truly aren't hungry at 10 a.m. Because if you are hungry, then you're going to go eat no matter what anybody says on a podcast or in a book. And so it's all about feeling good and doing things like getting a good night's sleep so that you wake up with the potential to optimize what your body's offering you and the great magnificent gifts that you have in your, in your metabolic and hormonal system. I can, I can, I can affirm that because at 53, it used to be that I could always turn to something like uh, sugar, caffeine to give me a juice or a hop up. And uh, especially if I didn't get my sleep, but at my age, man, I'm like a bear, man. I have to get my eight hours or someone dies. And, and it used to be, I could kind of cheat a little bit. I mean, like an extra cup of coffee, but a lot of times, yeah, it just won't do it. In fact, I nap a little bit more than I probably, I don't know. I don't know if I should be napping as much as I do these days, but yeah, the sleep seems to be the most important thing at getting reset. So if I do the two meals a day, is the other key to that, don't be doing the munchies, having a candy bar there and some chips here and doing that whole foraging thing that people do throughout the day? Yes, exactly. Because what we're going for here is to bring 
body fat to center stage as your primary source of energy. And of course, you can't fast forever. I mean, it's pretty healthy. People go on five-day fasts all the time and report back with good blood numbers and uh, cell repair and improved immune function and all that anti-inflammatory benefits. But then at some point, you're going to be wanting to eat. So if you imagine this feast or famine concept, just like our ancestors faced, where when it's time to eat, ideally, you're sitting down to a wonderful celebration meal where you actually experience hunger. And so you really can't wait to eat and you're going to really appreciate that meal. And then it's when you finish the meal, you have attained total dietary satisfaction from the Bellagio buffet or what have you, a nice choice at delicious dinner. And you no longer have a need to throw more calories down an hour later, two hours later, three hours later. The main reason that we have to do that is because we're eating nutrient deficient meals where we really haven't given ourselves enough nutrition. And we've also spiked blood sugar most likely with a high carbohydrate, heavily processed meal. And then you get that insulin crash in response. And so you truly are hungry two hours after your big breakfast with orange juice, oatmeal, toast with jelly on it and all that that bomber stuff that's just going to spike blood sugar. And again, when you're hungry, there's nothing you can do. There's no amount of willpower that's going to say, no, nah, I'm not going to reach for that energy bar in my drawer. You're going to do so because the brain wants to be sustained and, and alert and energized. And so the goal here is to have these fabulous meals and then be able to go for long periods of time without eating and feel great because you're tapping into stored body fat. And so it, as soon as you take a bite of a snack, you immediately shut off fat burning inside and you process the calories that you just consumed. So even a little grazing here and there where you have half your energy bar in the morning and half in the afternoon or whatever it is, you're stopping body fat burning in its tracks, you're burning through whatever snack you've just had, and then you take a while to kick back in, kick the cylinders back into gear and start burning fat again. So if we can kind of space the meals out, uh, a strive for eventually consuming a maximum of two meals a day and without snacking. So that's like the, the ideal there. It might take some people a while to get there. And in fact, we talk a lot about making this transition easy. So one of the things I'll say out of the gate is, look, if you have these symptoms of carbohydrate dependency, where you really need three meals a day, otherwise you're going to get dragging and have the afternoon blues and you can't get your work done. Okay, that's fine. Just shift those meals into more nutritious meals with less of the insulin stimulating carbohydrates. And if you have to snack in between meals, reach for something that's nutritious and it's higher in fat and lower in sugar. So if it's a handful of macadamia nuts or a can of sardines or a hard boiled egg or something that's really going to give you some good nutrition, snacking's okay for a while. And then ideally what you're going to notice is, hey, I'm not even hungry for a snack because I'm really got my fat burning going now. I eat delicious meals and I have a great lunch and a great dinner each day or a great breakfast and a great dinner or whatever your pattern is that's based on personal preference. We're not in here in this book telling you that at 9.30 a.m., we want you to eat two eggs and then test your <laughs> blood sugar. There's enough of that out there where it's a little bit silly and it gets kind of uh, tedious and even frustrating and stressful to be tracking everything. So we want you to go by your natural appetite, eat when you're hungry, never deprive yourself when you're hungry because that's going to cause all kinds of weird reactions in the body, like that stress mm. response will light up and you'll start making your own sugar if you don't eat. So it's not about deprivation and struggle it's just about being sensible that's that's usually when i murder people because i'm hungry i'm like yeah, that no uh, joke i mean you I'm... get mood disturbed and it's 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 not a good practice because 
every time you go without food when you're hungry, you're going to start making the cortisol, the prominent stress hormone spikes in the bloodstream, and you start catabolizing lean muscle tissue and converting it into glucose. It's called gluconeogenesis. Oh. And that will give you the, the, the sugar you need when you're in that cranky state if, if you don't eat. That's usually when I go full Chris Farley in the SNL scene where he grabs what's his face and he goes, I'm hungry. Ah. Tommy boy, something <laughs> Tommy like that. Tommy boy, yeah. yeah. So, On the road trip. Yeah. 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 Feed me. So one thing that's interesting about the insulin response discussion is, as I, I, I know some people that are either diabetic or borderline diabetic and they test their glucose regularly and they have some concerns about some of these diets because they say they can't combine them with, with, with being borderline diabetic or or fully diabetic, there's nothing wrong with their pancreas, but sometimes their sugar fluctuates. Is is that really a concern for them to have, or, or what do you? What's your thoughts on that? Well, one thing we've learned in this game is that when you're talking about a medical condition, you don't want to be floating out their opinions when I'm, I'm not a, a doctor who treats diabetics. But in general, if we look at this disease differently, especially the presence of the, the, the massive increase in type 2 diabetes, which is the diet-related or the diet onset, right? They used to call it adult-onset diabetes, but now so many kids get it that they renamed it to type 2 diabetes. We know from research that controlled Medically supervised fasting will cause an immediate or very quick correction in all these adverse blood values that diabetics suffer from on a daily basis. So we have wonderful means internally to regulate blood sugar, produce ketones to burn in the brain instead of sugar when you're not consuming it in the diet. So if you go look on uh, success stories page on websites like MarkStanleyApple.com, Mark Sisson's longtime leading uh, blog for the primal paleo movement, these success stories are stunning, where type 2 diabetics in a matter of weeks correct all the blood values that render them a type 2 diabetic, and they land into the normal category and are able to uh, let go of their medications or reduce their med medications in a responsible manner. And it happens so frequently, it's almost like a head nodding, like everyone acknowledges this is an absolute reality for so many people who are brave enough to take the plunge and consider a dietary transformation even for as little as 30 days and have a massive improvement in all their medical factors that are causing them to pop so many pills and being led down this road of medical dependency and prescription drug dependency for the rest of their life. So that's about as enthusiastic I get and as far as I'm going to tiptoe into the medical scene. But if you're suffering from, especially like you described, someone who's got that pre-diabetic red flag and the, the numbers are so ridiculous, like the number of type 2 diabetics in America, I, I forget, it's tens of millions. And then the number of pre-diabetics who have those adverse blood glucose values that give you the warning sign is maybe another 100 million on top of that. It's like almost all adults. We know now that two-thirds of American population are in the unhealthy category as adults. And so there's so many people where if you just ditch that, that, that processed carbohydrate out of the diet and the seed oils, because interestingly, the seed oils render your fat molecules dysfunctional. And so they interfere with the burning of healthy stored body fat. And so when you can't burn fat, 
and you try to go through a day fasting or eating a meal that's low in carb instead of high in carb, you're going to go for only a few hours and then you're going to fall apart uh, because if you can't burn fat, there's no energy left. You're going to have to go reach for a quick energy food in the diet. So if we get rid of the oils and the grains and the sugars, even a pretty serious disease state has been corrected over and over again to the tunes of you know millions of people uh, regaining their health. And that goes for all kinds of other inflammatory and autoimmune conditions that are driven by adverse dietary practices wow that's powerful i mean i i've seen i've had a lot of friends that did that they've been the doctors like hey man you're you're borderline or type 2 diabetes and they change their diet they get healthy they put some exercise in but large part of it is diet and they end up better for it so that's good one thing you guys talk about in your book is the 12-day turbo charge what is that about <laughs> so you always, I think it's a big priority for us in these books to bring the reader along as best we can on a, a dynamic shared experience rather than just punching a bunch of words up onto the page and crossing our fingers and hoping that you'll take it and run with it. We want to kind of get you out of the seat and really involved in a participatory manner. So after becoming educated by all the various chapters of the book and the various topics, you go for this 12-day intensive experience where you have an assignment in each of five areas every single day. And it's food, fasting, fitness, mindset, and lifestyle. So one of the assignments might be, okay, for today in lifestyle, you are going to optimize your sleeping environment and get rid of all the clutter and the stress producing items that are in your bedroom, no screen. So you got to get rid of your TV and your computer. And that'll be a little assignment where you write a journal exercise about it. And it's a good way to kind of cement all the learning that's occurred over the previous chapters. And of course, the diet challenge day one of the 12 day turbocharge is to get rid of all uh, the highly processed foods foods that are in your home environment. So you get the garbage can out and you throw away those pop tarts and those uh, sweetened beverages and the <laughs> Arizona iced teas and all the, uh, sorry if I'm offending any sponsors of the show people, but <laughs> we got to get that sugar out of our home environment. At least you talked about moving to an Island, but you know what? You can make your own Island at your home where you just make good decisions at the store. And then you're much less likely to consume this stuff if it's not immediately within your reach. That, that's great advice. One thing I learned a long time ago when I lost weight, I, I became a vegan, lost about 75 pounds. The, and, I, and I didn't realize at the time, but it was intermittent fasting that was really making the huge amount of difference. But I, eliminating the crap in my diet was important. But the one thing I learned is if it's in your mouth or if, hold on, if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. So just don't bring <laughs> it the damn home. So what you mentioned by throwing all that stuff out is really important. Yeah. And for a positive example of that, I'm really excited about this concept called micro workouts. And I think it's going to be one of the great transformations that we've seen in the fitness industry in decades, because it conveys this idea that you can take a minute or, or 30 seconds or, or two minutes or three minutes and perform a brief bout of ideally explosive resistance type of effort right there in your home or in your office cubicle and achieve this little workout effect where it's not tiring, it's not time consuming, it's not going to mess up your, your big workout that's planned for the next day, and it's not going to leave you on the couch later. It's just a little burst of energy that breaks up these prolonged periods of stillness that we experience in daily life. 
life. And this stuff is really troubling for, for becoming a good fat burner as well. That when you're sitting down for uh, a long period of time and not moving, you sort of uh, lose your ability to, to, to burn fat well and you start to increase your appetite for sugar and you become uh, less glucose tolerant, they call it. And so just getting up and moving for one or two minutes every half hour, whatever it is, and if it's standing up in your cubicle and dropping for a set of 20 deep squats, guess what? Even if you're a fit person, you're going to start feeling the burn after 15, 16, 17. It's a nice little workout effort. And then when we talk 365 days later and you say, yeah, I've really implemented this micro workouts concept into my daily life. You can see if you're watching on YouTube, there's a pull-up bar right here on the screen in my entrance to my uh, recording studio slash closet. And so my rule is when I first go under this pull-up bar, I do a set of pull-ups. No matter what, no matter how tired I am or not tired I am, I just throw in little tidbits of exercise throughout the day. And so that takes this intimidation factor out of it, which is so huge, where you go into the gym, you see the bros clanking the heavy weights around in their tight shirts or whatever intimidations you feel when you walk into a gym that people are fitter than you are. And you're in this environment where people can see you and see how, how pathetic the, the number of plates are on the machine you're using and all that stuff. You know, we can do away with and kind of uh, focus on creating an optimal home environment, especially in recent years when we've been quarantined. But to make this home environment conducive to fitness is a really powerful thing. And our resident psychologist on our staff who uh, consults with her on our books and stuff, Dr. Lindsay Taylor, she says, having it in plain eyesight is a huge, huge deal. So if you have a, a kettlebell, you put it right out there in view in between your living room and kitchen, and you go over there and you grab it and and you do a few swings uh, a couple times a day. And same with if you have little straps that the athletes use to work their legs. If it's there in view, it's way, way better than in a drawer even. Even though it's in the drawer, you have to have this stuff dangling right in front of you, just like the delicious candy bar or whatever's dangling in front of you. The body's going to respond. So do some positive things and also get rid of the negative in that sense. You know what I did? I, I took the kettlebell and attached it to the, the door handle in the refrigerator. So I have to work out every time I Hey, open that's it. you know, that's one idea, man. That's one idea. <laughs> there you go. Now, one one question I do have about the oils and stuff, and that that makes sense because I've I read some interesting things about some of these oils. But can you still use them for cooking, like even if you're just like seasoning a pan so that it doesn't stick, or what? What's some solution or alternatives that maybe you should be using? Well, you mentioned the coconut oil, so a a saturated fat. The, the chemical term saturated means all the um, hydrogen sites on the, on the molecule are saturated. And so they're more temperature stable because they're saturated. And the oils are considered polyunsaturated fats. So the canola, corn, soybean, all those are temperature unstable. So as soon as you heat them up, to cook with, they become an oxidized molecule. In other words, a free radical. So you're ingesting poison into your body when you consume something that's been cooked in these unstable, polyunsaturated vegetable oils or uh, seed oils, technically term is uh, seed oils. And so besides the fact that heating them up damages them, they've also been highly damaged during the processing method because it requires a lot of heat and high temperature processing to extract oil from something that's not really meant to yield oil, like a corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil comes from the rapeseed plant. And it's shocking that these things are still uh, recommended and still for sale in stores because in five more years, they'll probably be banned, astute, uh, 
listeners will know like how New York City banned all trans fats like 10 years ago. And so none of the restaurants could have this. And that's a small segment of the industrial seed oil uh, community that are now banned. They are called partially hydrogenated soybean oil. You might see that on a label back in the day. And now you're going to see some different terminology, but it's the same nasty stuff. So that stuff is just a, a big, a big no-no. And again, these things have no taste, right? So you're not sacrificing anything in your diet by giving up these oils and switching over to cooking with things like saturated animal fats. Even lard or recycled bacon grease is vastly better to cook with than these beautiful organic bottled oils that you can still buy at places like Whole Foods. So throw away the canola oil, toss out all that stuff, and then start cooking with a temperature-stable oil. What about like butter? I mean... Yeah, butter is a saturated fat. And the way you can tell saturated to unsaturated is if it's solid at room temperature. Mm. So if you put butter out, it's still in a square. It's going to be soft, but it's still solid. Whereas you put the uh, the oil in a bottle, it's liquid at room temperature. Olive oil and avocado oil are mono highly monounsaturated oils. So those will be liquid also. Uh, and those are pretty good to cook with too. They're less temperature stable. So you don't want to be heating up things and cooking them like crazy in olive oil, avocado oil, a little better. But generally speaking, cooking with the saturated fats is the way to go. And you know, butter is, butter is uh, vastly a superior health choice than margarine. And we were all convinced back in the 60s and 70s, the entire country, and then later the world, we exported that dietary advice to the world, was told that these polyunsaturated oils were healthier than the saturated fats because of this flawed hypothesis of what caused heart disease that's now been completely upended and corrected with recent science and virtually without dispute. You might find somebody that says margarine's better than butter, but that person will be stoned if they appear at one of the respected medical conferences and health conferences. It's interesting to me that one thing I learned when I was losing weight is your body knows how to process natural sugar, natural butter, natural natural products, but this this manufactured chemical stuff, your body's like going like, what's being thrown at me now? One thing that was interesting, I, I haven't validated this, so I haven't run it by Snopes, so I don't want to be the harbinger of, of misinformation, but I've seen an article that I never have checked on yet that canola oil comes from Canadian, the Canadians used to use it in their cars as motor oil. Is that true or am I crazy or I just need to check that? I like it because that'll have a lasting impression on the listener. I, I like my quote from one of the smartest minds in, in the in the scene, Dr. Kate Shanahan. She's the author of a few best-selling books. She designed and operated the nutrition program for the Los Angeles Lakers. So she's worked with top athletes in the world. She works hands-on with patients. So not only is she a big author and speaker, but she actually sees real people every single day. And so she's right there on the front lines of what really people are, are fighting this battle. And she said that the the immediate disturbance to the cardiovascular system caused by consuming these refined industrial seed oils is so extreme that it's literally no different than consuming radiation. It's radiation in a bottle. And they've, she cites a really shocking study insight that 
they, they took a group of healthy young people, college volunteers, and consuming a single serving of French fries, a nice medium-sized fries, whatever, will uh, cause a disturbance in healthy cardiovascular function for up to 24 hours. So their arteries will be less supple and smooth for up to a day from a dose of French fries. And by comparison, when you smoke a cigarette, the disturbance to the arterial function is about eight hours. So in terms of the immediate dose damage, French fries are worse than smoking to your, your poor, precious arteries. That's not to say that a French fry habit is, 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 is worse than a smoking habit. For that immediate, extreme, toxic reaction, it's something to think about when you're, you're weighing the, the choices out there. Well, I pick up most of my girlfriends on Tinder advertising my supple arteries, and that seems to work. So I definitely don't want to damage them. That makes a huge difference. In the book, you guys have lots of uh, bonus materials, uh, frequently asked questions, journal exercises at the end of every chapter, different recipes that you've given people. Anything more about the book that you want to plug or, or tell us about that we may have missed? Oh, thanks, Chris. I think the, the, the key thing is that we're advocating a comprehensive lifestyle approach. So even though it's a, a book with some meals on the cover and food is a centerpiece discussion, we can't talk about food without putting the entire context of your lifestyle into the picture here. So we're going to talk a lot about exercise, sleep, of course, like you mentioned. Um, and I also like to add, when we're talking about sleep, everyone knows how important it is to get a good night's sleep and you shouldn't be binge watching on Netflix and that's a bad idea. But I also like to add to the discussion today the incredible importance of rest, recovery, and downtime, especially from hyperconnectivity and digital stimulation. And so guys, in, in, you and I are in that age group where we can reference probably half our lives or more than half our lives existing without the mobile device to constantly entertain us. So we had downtime where we were sitting around and maybe we were talking, rehashing the Super Bowl in a very slow and methodical conversation where we were just enjoying the sunset in Las Vegas and talking about how, what we're gonna, how we're gonna make up the money we lost on our betting on the next bet and just having easy time rather than having our nose in this device and having our brain working constantly from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed. So you're gonna get an interesting, uh, unique diet book in the fact that we expand the conversation tremendously to all these other imperative things that are all pushing you toward that direction of being a, a healthy, stress-balanced, fat-burning person rather and than a sugar stress head. <laughs> that sounds like a better place to be health-wise. So with the two meals a day, if I'm a Cato person or I'm a Atkins or all these different variations that are out there, using the two meals a day method is going to fit with pretty much almost any diet out there? Yeah, that's what's cool. A personal preference. I mean, we've been in this game a long time. We've helped a lot of people and, and heard from a lot of people and received plenty of critical feedback and really listened to the real people out there fighting the real battle. And one of the things that is so obvious is that your lifestyle changes have to be driven by personal preference. And it can work for a short time if you go visit with Jillian Michaels and you join the show and she screams at you and you lose 50 pounds and you collect a big check. But the attrition rate is ridiculous when people are following ill-advised diet or fitness programming that's too stressful. So we want you to feel comfortable from the very outset that you're doing something that you believe in, that feels right to you, and that you're going to tweak and and put the nuances in there and the revisions that work for you and your, your personal lifestyle 
on your personal goals. And that one of those is if you have a certain dietary belief pattern that, you know, compels you to choose these foods and, and these. Now, vegan, vegetarian, we can't let that go with just a, a smile and a wink because we want to help people and tell the full truth. So I think the best way to convey that is that those are very high risk diets because you are excluding so many of the most nutritious foods known to planet Earth and known to human evolution. Not to say that you can't thrive, and I've had people that I interview on my own podcast that are very smart and have a very uh, devoted approach to vegan vegetarian, but for the average person out there, you have a risk of long-term deficiencies and other shortcomings, including adherence to the diet because it's so restrictive. But in your story where you said, hey, look, you went vegan and you lost all this weight, what happened was you eliminated a lot of the offensive foods that weren't doing you any favors, and therefore you had an extreme fantastic explosion in health. And then what we want to do is continue to assess and reassess what's going to work long-term. Is a nice, delicious steak from the Bellagio going to, going to throw Chris Voss back into the dungeon of uh, weight gain and, and, and spiraling out of control? No freaking way. Nor is the omelet at the Paris uh, buffet, which is the best omelet in Vegas, man. I had, I think I had three of those. So I answered my own question. Three is my limit when I do the custom homemade omelets. But if you start to integrate these top foods, these most nutrient-dense foods, you're going to, a lot of times, people correct some complaints that they've had from having too restrictive of a diet. Yeah. And I, and I can agree with you there. Most of the weight loss, I didn't understand at the time. I was doing a thing where I would have a coffee in the morning and I would go as long as I could before I would uh, have my first vegan meal. And then I was go as long as I could and have my second vegan meal. And I actually was doing two meals a day, come to think of it, because I would just stretch it. But I didn't realize I was also doing intermittent fasting at the time either. I, I didn't realize that was probably a large part of it. But I actually did crash after three to four months. And I, I was crashing hard. And I, I finally had to go back to regular diet. So I can affirm what you're mentioning there. Anything we haven't missed that we want to throw into the show before we go out? Oh my gosh, you can go look at two meals a day book.com and get some more info about the book. We actually have these wonderful pre-order bonus materials, like an audio summary of the entire book. So if you like to listen to your content, I'll talk you through everything that's in there and really excite you to, to read the book when it comes. And I appreciate the interest and the chance to share. And I, I appreciate your questions too. We got it. We got people thinking and listening, man. There we go. There we go. So we've got the .com. Do we need any more? I think you have a podcast in the background. Is that what I'm seeing? Right. Yeah. You can listen to the B Rad podcast too. And it's trying to broaden the conversation a bit. I've been in this diet and fitness scene for so long, and there's only so much you can talk about. And then you got to kind of look at the big picture of uh, living a happy, healthy lifestyle. So in addition to all the content about the eating and the exercise and the workouts, I bring in different experts like uh, relationship experts talking about that and mindfulness and brain training and setting goals. And so it's been fun for me to kind of expand the horizons and share that with the listener. Some of my favorite shows, for example, uh, a guy like Mark Manson, he's the number one best-selling author of the decade with his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. I'm not sure if you believe 
bleep out your your no. words, but everyone knows that book. I also had John Gray on there, who's the best-selling relationship author of all time with his series of books, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. So one week you're going to get uh, which foods to eat for breakfast. And then the next week, John Gray is going to tell uh, all men the, the critical assignments of how to treat your female in order to have a happy, healthy marriage or partnership. And it's, it's really cool to engage with that different content and learn from all these experts. So yeah, thanks for the chance to plug the Be Rad podcast and bradkearns.com. You can learn more about me and watch the videos about the morning routine that I mentioned. And I really love listening from people. So send a note and we'll, we answer everything and like to connect. There you go. Guys, check it out. It's going to be coming out March 9th. So you'll be able to pre-order the book, get the first copy there as it comes off, hot off the presses. Two meals a day, the simple sustainable strategy, lose fat, reverse aging, and break free from the diet frustration forever by Mike Sisson and Brad Kearns. Brad, it's been wonderful to spend time with you today. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, Chris. Keep up the good work on the show. Yeah, and I'll probably be reading the book and learning from some of the things you've espoused here. I definitely need to cut down from the 20 meals a day I'm having to two. So I <laughs> right, just need take to the zero off. off. Yeah. And take unless... the zero off your meals and add it to your income, and then you'll, then you'll be in good shape. Yeah. One of the best things for me was just getting rid of the Mountain Dew out of my diet back in mm. the day, too. That was another big feature for losing so much weight. So thanks to my audience for tuning in. Be sure you go to YouTube.com for just Chris Foss to see the lo- uh, video version of this interview. Thanks to my Clubhouse audience for tuning in as well. You can go to Goodreads.com for just Chris Foss to see everything we're reviewing and reading over there. You can go to uh, Facebook.com for just Chris Foss or the Chris Foss Show. Same thing with LinkedIn. Same thing with Instagram.com. Wear your mask, stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.